Urban Spelunking is supported by Landmark Credit Union. Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. All right, we are live on site again in Shorewood, and this is kind of a follow-up, Bobby, from our Urban Spelunking episode last week about Frank Lloyd Wright, Wisconsin's most famous architect, and one of his protégés... Russell Barr Williamson. We were talking last week about how that influence that Frank Lloyd Wright had on Williamson and his career, and they actually kind of parted ways, maybe not under the best circumstances, we found out. And there's a block in Shorewood where we're standing today where we have an original Frank Lloyd Wright home across the street from a Williamson home on the same block on Newton in Shorewood. Yes, and actually, if you're uh, standing in the backyard of the Frank Lloyd Wright house, you can see another Williamson house uh, behind it. And then there's a, I'm standing in front here, we can see yet another Williamson house over there. So uh, this is deep in the heart of Williamson territory. And this was the very last home that was part of this system-built program that Frank Lloyd Wright participated in briefly. And it was, as we learned, kind of the bane of his career, something that he did not look fondly on. Yeah, he was trying to create a system where you could build houses using prefabricated materials um, to a set bunch of designs for an inexpensive price, you know. Um, and he wanted these, he envisioned subdivisions of these all over the country, um, and it didn't quite work out that way. He, you know, he was uh, famously uh, wanted to be in control of everything he did. And a little he, headstrong, right? Yeah, and he felt like this kind of system didn't allow him to keep the kind of control he wanted. And it was, that's sort of how his relationship with Williamson unravels at this house, actually, because while Wright is in Japan, Williamson is here on site overseeing this house, and he's making compromises that he feels like he has to make uh, to get the house built, and Wright disapproves of those, um, and so they part ways. So it was contentious, and it all went down during the construction of this very house in Shorewood. Yeah. What's really interesting about this is that it was kind of forgotten that this was a Frank Lloyd Wright home until semi-recently. In fact, for decades, it was not really known. Yeah, so it was built in uh, 1918, and the owners for a bunch of decades did know that it was a right house, of course, but then the last, uh, the owners, not the owners now, but the ones just previous to them didn't know. So there were a few decades when they lived here that it had been sort of forgotten, and nobody talked about it because Wright did his best to erase the history of the American system-built uh, program, so it didn't it didn't have any records based on that anymore. So really, people did forget, and it's interesting because the owner, Nick Hayes, talks about how people would come and look at the Russell Bar Williamson house across the street, standing with their back to the right house, <laughs> not even realizing right? that they were standing right in front of a Frank Lloyd Wright house. And and, and books were literally written that omitted the history of this, and the historians, as, as, we, as we learned, didn't know for a period about this home. And that was actually part of his journey as he moved in and his he and his wife moved in was researching this Frank Lloyd Wright history and the system built story and unraveling this mystery, which took several years. It took a couple of years actually. And they and he wrote a book about it. Right. So now there's an entire book just about I mean about the whole program, but specifically about this house called uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's Forgotten House that was published earlier in the year by University of Wisconsin Press. Well, coming up on the second half of Urban Spelunking, we're going to go inside this Shorewood Frank Lloyd Wright home, and we're going to go throughout and actually interview the current owner, Nick, in our extended conversation next on Urban Spelunking. Calling all pump-up jam lovers. If music helps you wake up, work out, or power through chores, I'm talking to you. Great music adds so much to your life. Have you ever wanted to return the favor? Then join Radio Milwaukee today. Your support powers a team of DJs handpicking music from around the world for you to enjoy. 
Visit RadioMilwaukee.org slash donate to pump up your playlist today. Support for 88.9 Radio Milwaukee comes from your membership and Landmark Credit Union. Landmark Credit Union is proud to support urban spelunking and is proud to have been guiding members with financial options since 1933. Information about membership is at LandmarkCU.com. Landmark Credit Union. And we are back on Urban Spelunking, standing outside the Elizabeth Murphy House in Shorewood. We're going to go inside and meet Nick, who owns the home right now. My name is Nick Hayes, and uh, my wife Angela and I live in the Elizabeth Murphy House, designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. It's the very last completed American system-built house designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. The American system-built program was intended to bring affordable housing to the masses as subdivisions were being built in um, in growing cities in especially this, the Midwest, but all over the country, he thought that he could design what effectively was a, a, a pre-cut, pre-designed house, ship the, the wood stock and the brick and the mortar and all the materials to the job site and have the contractor build it to a spec um, that he, he determined. And he, and he wanted to put beautiful houses in the hands of people who couldn't afford much of a house. So this house was supposed to sell for $3,750 on its, on its property um, when it was built in 19, when they started building it in 1917. Ultimately, um, it took 28 months to build the house. It should have taken four. And the reason is he canceled his contractor with his developer four months after the house was started. And so why did he cancel the contract with his developer? They thought they were going to sell thousands of these things around the country. A lot of people blamed it in World War II, or I'm sorry, World War I and material prices. I think that was actually cover. He was really in a philosophical battle with his developer about how you should do affordable housing at the time, and he didn't like the way this was going. And so he canceled the contract despite there being demand. And this is the last one, and the evidence of, of the end of the contract is here. It's in the physical details of the house, and we'll talk about it a little bit. It's 960 square feet. So this house was built here speculatively by an investor, a woman named Elizabeth Murphy. That's why it's called Elizabeth Murphy House. She bought the plans and hired the contractor, figuring she could sell it. She was going to pay $3,700 and sell for five grand. And that meant building the house, she owned the plot already, and her profit would have been $1,250. It's kind of meant to be, well, it's a prairie, it's a prairie home. The garden was by design. He, he meant to put that there. Um, those slats, it's called a grill. Uh, those are brand, they are the American system built brand. He wanted there to be stripes and shadows from, from lines all, of these, all over these homes. And you can see that, you know, that's true. On the, on the garden, this, this is for radio, I know you can't see this, but anybody that drives by will see that there are these cantilevers on the ends of the gardens, and they have grills inside them. And the real reason for that is exactly what you're seeing right now, which is the shadows are down-facing and they move around as the sun moves. And that's designed to give you the idea of nature, of a garden, of draping plants off the sides of this thing, even in the winter. How fascinating. Were you a uh, a, a write a file before you no, purchase we, the home. No, we bought the house as a in a in the in a quest to downsize. We wanted a small house. Wright forced that. Uh, it's a very small house, uh, and and um, what we immediately learned is that the genius of his design around you know just enough house for people 
it um, made our downsizing thing much more meaningful. And we had to understand why he did it that way. So when you get through the house, you're going to realize it's everything is intentional. He only allows you to have a certain number of trinkets and artifacts. You walk in a certain flow. You socialize in a certain way. And you'll see that in just a minute. So how many times did you have to downsize? Like, uh, I'm sure you had your initial downsizing. We're going to get rid of this we're, stuff. We're still working and, on it. And then you got to this house, and you had to probably downsize further still, right? Yeah. That's why we're not going to spend any time in the basement, because that's a staging area for the stuff we're still getting rid of. So it goes down the stairs into the basement and out the garage exactly. door to the Goodwill? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, it's a continuous quest. We, we, uh, we cut our material possessions in half, at least. And now we're in one of those modes where, you know, you really, you're really looking at something. Do you... Does this, this bring me joy? Yeah, it's, it's that thing. Yeah, does this deserve a nail on the wall? Because I don't want to put a hole there. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, I can't wait to see inside. Let's Are you go. ready to go inside? Let's go. We're gonna go through the front door, which is not on the front. Interesting. So you guys are on a path to, of discovery. So I'm gonna have you discover the go door. First. So go ahead and okay, walk up. Okay, I'm gonna go describe first. Describe what you're experiencing, maybe. Okay, so Bobby's been here before. This is my first time here. We're going up a kind of a long staircase along the side of the home. So the front door is at the back. Front door is at it's the back. It's on the side, but yeah. at, at the back you, pretty much. Yeah, you yeah. had to, one of the things people say is that Wright puts doors on the sides of houses to force you to find it as a guest. And one of the reasons for that is you're going to clear your head on the way there. Hmm. Okay, you're not going to come in with any distractions or issues or whatever stresses. And this door is specifically hidden. It's way down in the back, right? And, and you have to go through this very narrow, dark space in order to get inside the house. So well, I'll that's let... The, that's the... Contraction that's, and release, right? The com compression and release. Compression right? before release, exactly. So you'll be right. compressed while you do it. I'll let you guys go first. All right, I do feel my, my body kind of narrowing a little as I go inside here. When you enter, you step into what used to be an outdoor sleeping porch that's since been enclosed by windows. And what you're looking at here is actually the front of the house. These are the front windows, and this would have been outside, and you'd have put a bed here to sleep here. So what you're looking at here is the outside light. And this is the actual front door of the house. I see. And when they enclosed the porch and they put glass on it, they also added this door. So your first compression and release that included a door would not have included it before. Mm -hmm. You'd have just walked into this porch. Yeah. And then you'd have knocked on that door and you'd have gotten into the main house. You know, they'd use it three months of the year yeah. and otherwise it would just be it would just be outside and it'd be wasted space. This is 320 square feet. This yeah. is a lot of space. All right, so now we're going to head in the main part of the house, and I'm going to watch you guys do this, because here comes another compress and then release. Okay, so we walked on this right through the main entrance. This would be the main, this is the front door now. Yeah. You Definitely, you're walking past this little half wall, and then as you turn towards the living area, it opens up to this fireplace and just windows all around you. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I felt that. In, in fact, Nate, stand here, and you'll realize that you can see East, west, north, and south from the, the middle of this house. Oh, you sure can, yeah. And if you do a, a 360, it's yeah. panoramic almost. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things you guys did, which is pretty amazing, is you come through this main little little second secondary compression and release created by an artificial wall. And only one person can walk through that. And then at that spot, right at the middle of the house, you have to make a decision. You have to decide if you're going to be social and come into the high ceiling area of the house where, you know, the sound's reverberate or you go underneath that little tiny six and a half foot 
uh, tall roof, which is called the hall, into the intimate part of the house. And it's even quieter over there. Now, you guys are extroverts, so you turn right. left. Introverts will turn right. Interesting. I was going to say, like, how did, how did we stack up here? So you've noticed a yeah. traffic pattern. Oh, yeah. Around. We follow people around, and then I identify, I peg people. I tell them, you're an introvert. because yeah, you. Chart, you like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> What's interesting to me, though, is it seems introvert or extrovert, I feel like as a guest coming into the house, I see the bedrooms, and I see that, and I think, well, that's your space, exactly. right? And yeah. I feel like this is my, well, not my yeah. space, but this is a space you want me in. Yeah. That's a space you don't want me yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'm going to give you two more things about this, this spot that this happened on. The first is, obviously, these shelves and fireplace drag you into the room where you're going to be social, right? It's where the music is and all the people are drinking wine. But more importantly, watch, watch this happen. So I'm going to walk over outside the door and knock on it. Okay. All right, Bobby, you're going to open the door as if you're the host. Okay. 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 All right. A little Watch demonstration here. Yeah. Could I please come into your house? It looks yes, like come such on a in. beautiful place. So we'll walk down this hallway now, right? Thank you very much. And we're going to shake hands right here. And this is where you'll take my coat because you're yeah. the host, right? Right. And you'll put it in, put it in the closet. In most houses, when you greet guests, you do it on the outside edge of the house in a foyer. In this house, when you greet guests, you're standing right at the middle of the house. Hmm. Think about that sim symbolism. What mm -hmm. Wright is saying is people who can only afford little houses are trusting people of their neighbors, right? They, they, let's, let's create neighborhoods in which we welcome each other into our spaces. And he does that physically right here at what we call the place of greeting. Wow. Wow. And, and just that inference from... The placement of the door and and that feeling that maybe nobody thinks about until you think about it exactly exactly you you had to find the door clear your head compress then release be impressed by the fact that things changed get to this decision making place and decide you're going to be social but also we're going to say hello for the first time right at the heart i'm worn out by the time i'm in here <laughs> so much work just to get in here and he was he was manipulating you the whole Where time did I keep the beer <laughs> I'll show you let's go let's do that and so these these built-in shelves and the fireplace and the windows was this all original this is all every piece of wood in here that you see is um is the original birch put on by the original contractors and amazingly in 103 years it is the original amber shellac that they put two coats of so none of this wood in this house has been painted wow. ever ever which, which is amazing, right? So it's one of the reasons or why... Refinished. Or refinish. Or refinish, yeah. It is, when you touch this, this is the stuff the guy put on, which is pretty stunning. So we'll now, open that can of worms later. <laughs> so now, come, now come over here. Now what we've done is we've, we've moved through the living area where there's a fireplace, and we're now in what, what Wright called the breakfast nook. He didn't call it a dining room. And the original built-ins are here, and they're kind of beautiful in a prairie style. They have the same leaded glass as the as the exterior windows. They're just storage units that are were part of the American System Built program. When you got a house, you got built-ins that looked like this, and all that wood was delivered from Richard's lumber yard to the contractor to build those things in exactly that way. Yeah. And all of this trim was was milled at Richard's lumber yard to be put you know on the floor exactly the way you see it. But in the breakfast nook. What Wright does is he shoves the table up against the shelves, up against the wall, and he puts the light you know, towards the end of the room. So it looks like you only have a three-sided table, and it feels more like you're in like a, diner's, like a dining 
uh, booth, right? Mm. Yeah, I see that. And and the table, he, he would design two two pieces of furniture for American System Build House. One was the table, and the other was two benches that would go down the side that looked like pit, picnic benches that matched the table. This house didn't get the benches. It got the table, but not the benches. Because he shoved the table up against the wall, the living space is much bigger because we're, we've gotten into this logical traffic into the kitchen. As soon as we have a party, we pull the table up away from the wall, throw leaves in, and we are now into the living area with a table that might be 12 feet long. It can be, you can have, this turns into a big dining area, right? So this is modular design 103 years ago. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of data. So now we're going to go into the kitchen. I got to point out that this was an icebox. In, 19, in 1917, right, there was no refrigeration. So the back door is there so the ice man can deliver the ice to the icebox and cold to the basement. And this shape in here is correct. It was U-shaped, but there, obviously there was no dishwasher. So they redid the lowers in the 70s to accommodate large appliances, and they did a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. The uppers are original. We knew that this was a problem when we got here because everyone was forced to put a refrigerator someplace for you know, 70 years, and it was in this spot, and it blocked the sight line in the kitchen, made the kitchen feel super small. So we put in these you know, below counters. Um, that, oh, nice. Right, and, and now you got the sight line back, and you realize that Wright was still manipulating you. If you were, if you were flipping pancakes on the stove right here, you were only eight feet away from the kids sitting in the breakfast nook, who were hollering for more pancakes. So this whole thing was it was almost like an open kitchen design before open kitchen designs. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I feel like I hear that all the time about open kitchens, right? Yeah. It's kind of that. Yeah. Again, ahead of the time, you said manipulated by Wright. Um, I suppose you feel that living in this house. You think um, he's he's there watching watching you all the time. You know how are they are they using the house the right way? And if he was alive, he probably would have. Been. He probably would be. He probably be saying, "Don't do that." Don't do that. Your furniture around. Exactly. Get get rid of those lower cabinets that somebody put in that are too big. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. So now let's do. You were almost done with our tour. Icebox you used to be here. That takes you into the basement. And all that's, we're now in this super quiet hall. And I just want to point out that what it is, is it's a maze of doors. It takes you to the kitchen. It takes you to a, a coat closet, a vacuum closet, two bedrooms, and a bathroom. And if you're six foot five, you can't fit in here. It's, it's not possible. Um, and then the two bedrooms are slight, one slightly larger than the other. Parent bedroom is 10 by 12, and this one's 10 by 10. And then the bathroom. That's the whole house. I mean, what did it take us, 10 minutes? Yeah, almost. <laughs> Just about. After completing the loop through the house, we settled down back in the living room where our tour began. Our conversation shifts to the story beneath the architectural details here. We start talking about the actual people linked to this house, particularly the notoriously narcissistic and difficult right and the falling out that he had with his former protege, Russell Barr Williamson. This house where we're standing, this is the very project where their whole relationship fell apart. They would never work together again, and interestingly, Williamson would build a house on the very same street across from this one that Wright built. More on that later. Back to Nick. Did you know how historic it was going into this whole process? No. Um, we had no idea what we were landing in. M my wife's the art teacher at Atwater School. And our daughters uh, had gone off to college, and we were living four blocks north of the school. Um, 
in a big Dutch colonial in Shorewood. We did like everyone else did. We moved here for the schools in the 90s and we bought the biggest house we could afford and then raised our kids in it. And then when they were gone, we were sitting around thinking, why we don't need this space, let's, let's do things differently. So we started looking at small houses and this one had been found and it, so it had been discovered and announced and it was in the national news and um, it immediately went up for sale and we thought we couldn't afford it and we didn't really belong in it. It didn't make sense. Year passed, it's still available, its price was coming down a bit and we walked through on a whim and within six weeks we had moved into the house. It was, it, we, it was love at first sight. But how do you lose a house by Frank Lloyd Wright to start with? How is it that this house needed to be rediscovered in the first place, right? I was going to ask. It, you, it was the second time I've heard this discovery question. Yeah. I, was this not like public knowledge? Yeah, it wasn't public knowledge. So right, right in, 19, um, in 1916, they build the prototype Burnham block, thinking that they're going to put uh, small houses like this all over the country. That's, that's their development ID place. They're gonna, it's their prototype. They're gonna invite people there to see them so they can sell more. And they sign a contract and say, we're gonna sell these houses all over the country. And his developer, Arthur Richards from Milwaukee, who's a, a great real estate guy, a, a, a magnate at the time, um, promises big commissions, big dollars, and begins selling some houses. Uh, but immediately it goes off the rails for a whole bunch of reasons. They are disagreeing on a lot of things. M mostly it's about changes being made to the houses without Wright's consent. M and he can't stand that. And Richards has these plans to sell them in ways that Wright doesn't approve of. He doesn't like the idea that anyone can buy one of these houses and he won't know who it is. And they'll th then, the then the owner will have all the rights to change the house. And he doesn't, you know, that's not, that doesn't work for him either. An, an owner having the right to change their own house? Yes. Yeah. Why would that, that doesn't make any sense to a good architect. Well, right? it's funny too, because it seems like the whole idea of doing this sort of uh, popular system of houses that can go up easily and everywhere is already in confrontation with Wright's own desire to be in complete control, right? Because he... He's already worried. He does. He's not going to know every single person that owns one. Exactly. <laughs> it's, gonna, I mean, if it becomes this huge popular program where they're building thousands of these all over the country, how would he ever possibly know all of the people who owns them? He could. He couldn't, and he realizes it almost immediately that what this is is an opportunity for real estate folks to make a lot of money on inexpensive houses, and and then him to lose control of over design. Yeah. And and, and I. You could see his name sort of going down. Exactly. With it, right? He's because people are going to like. You, they're going to use his name clearly because he's famous. And, exactly. And but he's not going to have any control in the end. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, I think another thing that needs to be said about it is his vision and their vision too is entire subdivisions of these things. This is not just going to be one house here and one house there, right? Um, it starts out that way, and that's not great. Because as you saw from this house, it's not perfect that it's stuck in between two much taller houses, right? This is not a piece of land that Wright would have chosen. Instead, he would have wanted this whole block to be covered with these beautiful homes. And they'd all have some relationship to each other. All the prairie DNA would be on the block. So he liked the Burnham block, he, he, but he wouldn't like this. I would say he probably thought the Burnham block was a good compromise, but everything was built too tight. Yeah. And probably not... Um, and, and not diverse enough. He would have wanted more than three, oh, right. three designs placed on the house, but he didn't have them done. So it didn't, you know, it didn't work out that so way. So it begs the question though, would he ever have been happy? I, 
<laughs> I don't think so. And that leads us really conveniently to um, what Russell Bar Williamson's role was in this. Let's, let's pause for a second and say, Wright and Russell Bar Williamson essentially erase each other after the American system built homes. So their separation here was not pleasant for anybody. It was, it was really ugly. They don't talk about each other ever again. And, in the, and it's, a mutual, um, it's a mutual dislike or whatever it, whatever it is that drives that kind of erasing that, that took place. Um, but while the American system built homes are going on, Wright needs somebody he can ride to get as many drawings into the hands of the contractor as possible to make, to make a real go of this. And Richards loves Williamson. So Richards and Williamson are just really working together beautifully and they're cranking out all sorts of, of you know, customer needed drawings and construction specs and things like that. And meanwhile, compromising a, a little here and there along the way. And, and that means that all of a sudden Williamson is enabling changes Wright would not have allowed and he's paid by Wright. But know. he's working in the real world while Frank Lloyd Wright's in, in Japan, right? Exactly, that's yeah. exactly right. Wright so, has the luxury of not dealing with these real world issues. He does, yeah. he does. So he, he has this massive job, right? If he's actually gonna sell subdivisions, he's gotta get a whole bunch of drawings done. He's got a kid that's willing to do the drawings but also is, is you know, willing to make compromises, and you can see the drama that, that unfolds after that. They cut it off and say, we're not doing this anymore, and Wright doesn't talk about it again for the rest of his life, basically. Oh. And that's how you forget a house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and then Williamson, though, but see, now this goes back to what we talked about in the previous week, where Williamson goes off and designs all these prairie-style houses. We've seen advertisements for Bach-like houses yeah. that don't mention the names Frank, Lloyd, or Wright. Yeah. Um, but if Williamson is doing dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of drawings on these projects, is he not somewhat entitled yeah. to this sort of style, to work in this kind of style? Because he must have been doing the same thing at the Bach House, right? Yeah. He, he absolutely deserves a ton of credit for how much work he put into these drawings. I, I, I want to tell you, here's a stat. Here two, I'm going to give you two stats. First is there are 900-some drawings. The only the only signatures of approval that exist on any of the drawings when they're passed between the architect's office and the contractor are RW. It's, it's Russell Williamson. He's the only guy working on this project, essentially, and he's carrying it at the age of 22, 23, 24 years old. So it, this, is where the, this is where the argument happened. Houses like the one across the street and the one over here and the one over here are the, are the cousins that came out of it and of course they have right DNA in them. So now your question is, how much Williamson DNA is in the right work? And that's something I don't think we're ever gonna know. Yeah. You can't have a house by a, 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 uh, a, a right assistant 100 feet away from a right house that was forgotten and have that one not be forgotten. All the historians have been walking through Shorewood talking about Bar Williamson's house for, for the last hundred years, and they've been walking right by this one not knowing what it is. So we had to figure out why that, why, why that happened. And, and that really became an obsession, and, and it's been a really fun. I mean, chasing the drawings and reading all the letters and, and uh, uh, understanding the, the context of the place has been a blast. And you have a writing background, right? Yeah. And your dad? Yeah, my dad's a reporter, from, a former reporter for the journal. Um, I studied English in school. I write uh, a column for a, a sailing magazine, which is a national publication, and I've written other books before. 
Um, but I never got to write a mystery. This was, and, and, and this was fun. So your question is moving in. I, I want to say two things about it. One, we were willing to just let Wright control our lives. That was one thing that was cool because we knew he was in our, in our space of downsizing, right? Let, let that happen. So he got to pick all the things that are in here effectively. That was one. Two, let's care for it. We're handy. We can do it. My wife works her, her butt off. Um, got tons of this work done. Um, so that was fun. We DIY'd most of this project. And, and the third was getting the, mystery told, the history told. And so w as we started looking through all of the historians writing about American system-built homes and writing about Wright's lost years, writing about the dark period after, after Taliesin burned, which is when this happened, and nobody ever mentioned this house, we realized that there had to be a story right, that was unwritten because it had been missed all along. Mm -hmm. And that was, the, that was the, the point at which we realized it was, it, there, there's something to tell. And you this know. was in, you said you've got thousand twenty sixteen. Yeah, I would say that was, that was 18 by the time we completely confirmed it. So it took you two years of basically research to yeah. figure out yeah. all the uncovered bits. Yeah, all the uncovered bits. And, uh, and the end result, you know, the, without giving away the way the book flows, Wright omitted the program from his, from his autobiography. He omitted, mostly omitted the houses. He kind of didn't bring them up again, except for one drawing in the 50s that he was willing to talk about because he'd softened a little bit. And he didn't talk about the people who were involved in it, in, in, ever, essentially. So he, he, he even told his lawyers um, at the end of the, the program that he wanted all evidence of his involvement with these people erased. Wow. Which is pretty dramatic. That is dramatic. And yeah. how does that make you feel now? Like, uh, you know, all these years later, more than a century later. It, uh, I, I, uh, I'm hesitating to give you these words. I want to, I want to give you the right words on this. We think we're caring for, um, for uh, something that's been, uh, we're caring for an orphan, effectively, right? It, if Wright knew this house was standing, he'd want it torn down. It has that many mistakes in it, right? He, he might even want all the American system built homes torn down. And that really is the story, right? He, 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 he wanted this part of the history forgotten. But here is this artifact, right, that explains why he wanted hit this part of history forgotten. And it's a gem. Right, so I caring for the forsaken are the words I was looking for. Though that's that's the that's how we feel about it now, and it's really fun. It's it's a it's a hoot. I mean, the rest of his reputation is opulence and um, and uh, uh, narcissism and exactly exactly and money, <laughs> right. right? And how poor he was, how bad he was with money, and all of those things, cars. And this, this, little, this little idea that he had, it did emerge one day in smaller Usonian homes as a, as a program to make people's lives better. This one was just a mistake he wanted erased. And it's pretty cool to be able to bring it forward and explain how it's related to the real outcomes. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for inviting us into this, into your home, into this piece of history. I hope you get some good out of it. So that was an incredible tour. I got to say, Bobby, that was my first time being inside any Frank Lloyd Wright architecture ever, and really? having it, yeah, amazing. having having it be somebody's personal residence and get that personal tour, that was really really cool. What I love about it is that it's just so 
beautifully renovated. I saw it when it was first rediscovered. I'm doing the quote thing uh-huh, with my uh-huh. fingers in 2015, and it was, I mean, all the all the pieces were there, you know, but it was just wasn't in the kind of condition it is now. Where I mean, they've spent three years, four years now, really kind of bringing it back to its original beauty, and and all the woodwork's original, and just it's really great. Yeah, I was really struck by all those built-ins and the shelves and and the, those horizontal lines that he was talking about mm-hmm. that you see in this prairie style throughout the really throughout the home, inside and out. And I love that the stained glass windows, the leaded glass. Uh, the letting in there actually is sort of a representation of the house itself. Yeah, so those little details are so cool. Well, as we mentioned at the top, Bobby, it's it, this home, this Frank Lloyd Wright home, sits across the street from this Williamson home. So what's the deal here? So this is one of those ones we talked about uh, previously, these sort of Bach-related uh, uh-huh. houses, a very similar design to the Bach house. So would you call this a baby Bach? I'd call this a baby this Bach. This is a baby Bach, yeah. like we talked about last week. Um, okay. But it's interesting because, like some other ones, including one in Wauwatosa, um, this one is built out of cinder blocks. Yeah. So it's interesting that I think Williamson was really kind of um, changing the materials and trying different kinds of materials to build these prairie-style houses, things that Wright had never really used. So it's, it's, this is an interesting example of that. One thing that stands out right away is they're both, I suppose, in the prairie style, but as you mentioned, this has got the, the cinder block construction and... Um, the right one looks remarkably different. It's not this kind of this uh, imposing structure. Uh, this definitely has a heavier feel across the street from Williamson. Well, it's interesting because these uh, the Elizabeth Murphy house is really one of the last like true prairie style designs that Frank Lloyd Wright has done. You know, with before he moves into that kind of heavier box style where it looks almost more fortress like. Yeah. And that's what the Williamson house looks like. What a story, just to have all this history, this, uh, of course, this famous architect in Frank Lloyd Wright, his protege, who he had this falling out with, they both happen to have homes on the same block across the street from each other. So much drama happening right here. On yeah, this one a lot block. of drama. So much architectural drama. You wonder if they had, like, <laughs> you know, was Frank Lloyd Wright ever on this site, I wonder? when he uh, was... Not to my knowledge. I don't think he was, because the house was being built when he was not here, and then by the time he was back in the States... Um, I think he'd sort of washed his hands of this whole thing. Yeah, and as and as Nick mentioned, he was trying to wash his hands of the whole system-built program, it right, sounds like, from right. his whole career. Yeah. Well, such an interesting story, and if you missed our episode last week where we talk about the Bach home and the baby Bach homes, <laughs> we talk about imitation or influence, uh, definitely go listen to that conversation if you haven't yet. That's the episode right before this one on the Urban Spelunking podcast. Podcasts here on 88.9 are produced by Kenny Perez. Handcrafted Sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab. Subscribe to this podcast and all of 88.9's podcasts. You can find them at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcasts. And if you can take just a sec to rate and review this podcast, we'd love to know what you think. And hey, while you're while you're clicking links, make sure you click the link and check out Bobby's complete story, one about the book that our, our host today wrote, which is really cool, plus more about the, uh, the history here on this block. Bobby? Amazing. This was great. We'll see you next week. Super fun. Thanks, Nate.